Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series, Mysteries of the Kingdom, today with a message entitled, Understanding the Times. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm reading Matthew 13, 24 to 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. I wonder how you handle dissonance. I mean, what do you do when you encounter the gap between the way something is and the way it's supposed to be? You know, for instance, let's say you do amazingly well in school, but you can't seem to find the job you were trained for or promised. How do you handle that? Or you save up for money for a new car, and after two months, well, the car has a lot of problems. New cars aren't supposed to have problems. And let's say the car dealer won't give you the help that you need. And let's say the manufacturer won't stand behind the product and won't replace your car. How do you handle that? Or you sacrifice and work for something, and then someone else gets the reward or credit for what you have done. It's unfair, and it's not the way things are supposed to go. What do you do then? The gap between our expectations and the sometimes harsh realities of an unfair world are often more than we can bear. Every one of us knows these feelings. I mean, how do you deal with it? Some will say, well, not well. And some of us wonder why God doesn't do something about all of those injustices. One of the areas of dissonance that I have is between the way the church is supposed to be and the way that it sometimes is. That's a difficult one. I think every Christian struggles with that. But for now, consider the hopes of the people of Israel. For thousands of years, they had waited for the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's, it's true that Adam fell into disobedience and brought death and despair and injustice and suffering on the human race. But God is so overwhelmingly gracious. He promised to send his king, his, his Messiah, who would come and institute the reign of God on earth and make everything right. And there was born in the hearts of Israel a sense of hope and a sense of longing. And so Jesus came. The sick were healed and the dead were raised and nature obeyed his voice and demons fled from him in terror. He fed the hungry. He multiplied bread in his hand. His teaching was unlike anyone had ever heard. Surely the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And yet Herod continued to reign. The Romans continued to occupy. Evil seemed to carry on unchecked. And people still got sick and died. And in many people's mind, this was dissonance. How could Jesus do what he did if he were not the long-awaited Messiah? And yet, if he was the long-awaited king, why didn't he bring evil to an end? This is not the way things should be. And so Jesus told a series of parables. 
They're simple stories, and they carry with them significant truth to anyone who has ears to hear. And these stories explain the unique time in which we live. They tell us how it is that the kingdom of heaven has indeed arrived, yet for a period of time, evil is allowed to carry on. Now, we have to begin with the central point of the entire book of Matthew. Matthew as an eyewitness of Jesus and as a man chosen by Jesus to be one of his ambassadors to the world. Matthew wrote this book to give compelling evidence that Jesus really is the long-anticipated Messiah who brought the kingdom of God to the earth. But what do we make of evil? Well, Jesus has begun with a parable of the sower, telling us that the kingdom of God has come, but the results will vary. And the reason for that is that the kingdom of God comes in a most interesting fashion. It comes, at least in its initial stages, by making an appeal. But Jesus points out that people will respond to that appeal very differently. Some just won't understand. Some will find its demands to be overwhelming, and when trouble comes, they will fall away. Still others will never resolve to repent from their love of darkness. They will want the kingdom, but they will also want the pleasures of this world. But some, Jesus promises, will truly embrace the kingdom, and when they do, they will be overwhelmingly fruitful. Well, okay. That explains the differing responses to his message. That's why some who hear and believe aren't transformed. There's something defective in them, something that was never resolved. But while that answers some of the questions about the kingdom of heaven, it still doesn't answer all of our questions. I mean, why is John the Baptist left to languish in prison under the unjust whims of a diabolical king? Why is evil allowed to continue? But Jesus is only teaching us one principle at a time. Now, since the parable of the wheat and the weeds is explained later, we won't look into that explanation until later, but, but for now. Let's carefully consider what Jesus actually taught. But let's also remember that Jesus has explained to his disciples that he is being deliberately vague to those who, who have hardened their hearts towards him. And he's also told them that the majority won't understand the parable. But then he did say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is, if, if you yield to God, if you're humble and repentant and willing to accept the demands of the kingdom of heaven, and you're willing to ponder the parables in your heart, well, you're going to understand. And so even though he explains the parable later, simply listening to it without explanation as, as the original hearers did, well, that should give us some of the clues of the mysteries of the kingdom. The parable of the wheat and the weeds, like so many of the parables of Jesus, were about the events that were commonplace occurrences among those who heard. He said the kingdom of heaven could be compared to the master of a large farming operation. Now, most of the farms around Galilee were rather small. They would have been operated by one farmer and his family. These were subsistence farmers, and, and that's also why Jesus, on two occasions, multiplied the loaves and the fish for the crowds who heard him. I mean, they would have come to hear him, but they would have been too poor to bring along their own food. They lived hand to mouth. They, they were the desperate. These were the ones Jesus came to save. But in every society, there were always the wealthy. And so, since you notice that the story includes servants or slaves, you'll know that this was a farmer or this was a wealthy landowner who had many servants. And in this story, this large landowner sowed good seed in his field. Now, that's an important element in the story. 
That's because you might buy grain from a merchant, and if you did, the farmer would have to ensure that the grain he is buying is not of an inferior quality, or it's impure, it's mixed with other grains. See, I have no doubt that those buying pure grain, that is unmixed grain, would have been among the wealthiest people. They could afford the very best grain for sale, perfectly cleaned grain, highest quality. Now, this is, as I've said, an important part of the story. Since Jesus began the parable with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed, well, we immediately know that the seed must represent either the message of the kingdom or the great deeds that the king was doing. It's seed of the highest quality. You know, some Bible commentators have pointed out that the work of sowing is not an uncommon image in the First Testament. I mean, many times the Bible presents the work of sowing as an allegory for something else. You know, for instance, I think about Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. There it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves in his arms. Now, the context there is the Babylonian captivity. When Israel was taken into exile, the righteous among them wept for the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. But their grief was not hopeless grief, for they were awaiting the restoration of all things. Having sowed in tears, they would harvest a reward. That's the image of sowing. But sowing can also have a negative image. Proverbs 22 verse 8 says, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. I hope you see that sowing is often an image for something that people do. The harvest is the result of their actions. And all of that to say that the imagery of sowing seed is an image that all of Jesus' hearers would have known only too well. It means that an action is done and consequences are expected. And so it wouldn't be far-fetched for the hearers of this parable to assume that the landowner would have been God. The field is either the world or it's Israel, and that God is sowing seed. Now, of course, when Jesus explains the parable later, he's going to say that he's the one who's sowing the seed. That's because he is God in human flesh. But even if they don't understand that part, the hearers would have understood a lot. A great message is being sowed among them. Offering Bible teaching resources that provide relevant biblical truth is at the center of the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. This month, our daily Bible teaching program focuses on the expositional teaching of the Gospel of Matthew chapters 11 to 13, entitled The Mysteries of the Kingdom. How is it in a world so out of control that we believe God is in control? It's a mystery, but a mystery revealed in His Word. This series, along with every Back to the Bible Canada resource, is made available free to anyone who would know the truth about God. Every program, article, blog, video, online, podcast, mobile app, or even the Truth in Life magazine is simply free. A goal of Back to the Bible Canada is Bible teaching without barrier. Special thanks to all those who make this possible. To know more or to partner with Back to the Bible Canada, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The parable of the wheat in the weeds presents us with a large landowner sowing his field. That is, he's doing what is required 
to prepare for a massive harvest. The seed is the most excellent quality and the field is good. All preparations have been made. And that's what Jesus was up to. He went out preaching the kingdom, healing diseases and casting out demons, and he was laying down his seed for an excellent harvest. But at this point in the parable, something altogether unexpected happens. We're told the landowner has an enemy. Now, this next element in the story is something Jesus' hearers would have recognized. You know, the Romans actually had a law making it illegal to sow weeds in another man's field, a crime which Roman law sought fit to punish. And all that to say that since there was a law against this, well, that activity must have been going on. You know, if it didn't happen, why make a law against it? See, all human laws are in reaction to something that, that's happening. And, and if you think about it in our culture, well, we have very similar things that go on in our day. One analogy would be putting a, a virus in someone else's computer. It's, it's meant to destroy. You know, in the case of viruses placed on business computers, well, it can mean that a business is taken down. It, it introduces financial hardship. Now, according to verse 25, all this happened while the landowner's men were sleeping. Now, we might ask ourselves whether this is some kind of a, a condemnation of the landowner's servants. I mean, you know, should they have been more vigilant? But notice that the passage doesn't condemn the servants. The point is not the sloth of the servants. The point is the deceitfulness and cunning of the enemy of the landowner. The fact that they were sleeping means no more than all men have to sleep. I mean, and they sleep at night. And the idea here is that the enemy has done something in the dark of the night when dark things are being done. The Greek word for weeds gives us no indication as to what kind of weeds were planted. And at first glance, we might be tempted to say, well, that's probably not that important. But notice again verse 26. It says, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. See, that sentence now tells us that the wheat is getting towards the time of the harvest. And, and that would mean that in the earlier stages of growth, that it was not apparent that there were weeds among the wheat. And that would mean that in the earlier stages of growth, the weeds must have looked like the wheat. Everyone thought the harvest was coming along just fine until the plants started to get to the point where they were bearing grain. And this part of the parable has led a great many Bible teachers to conclude that, that Jesus must have been referring to a weed that was actually quite common in that part of the world. It's called bearded darnel. You know, that weed looks almost identical to wheat when it's young, but as it matures, it forms a black seed and it plays host to a fungus that can be quite toxic to human beings. When this weed is present, it's, it's like eating poisonous mushrooms. But that's not all. The interesting thing about this weed is that it's insidious. First, its roots tangle hopelessly together with the wheat so that if, if you pull up the weed, you're going to destroy the entire crop. And second, because the darnel is poisonous, we can see just how merciless this enemy actually is. Not only is he trying to destroy the landowner's crop and cause genuine financial harm, you know, this enemy doesn't care. He doesn't care if what he's done actually brings harm to others in the process. This enemy is willing for there to be fallout, and he's more than willing for innocent people to be harmed. So let's move then to the next part of the parable. The time now comes when it's apparent that something monstrous has come about. 
And so the landowner's servants now recognize the, the prevalence of the Darnell, and they address the landowner with respect. They call him master, and that's important. No one questions his authority, but they're wondering if he's made a mistake. It's almost as if they're asking him if he bought the wheat at one of the discount shops. Was he careful when he bought the grain? Did, did he inspect it, or did he cut corners? You know, it is clear that the servants planted the seed, but they planted that which had been given to them from the landowner. Perhaps the landowner had been tricked, and perhaps they needed to take action against a seed grower, or, or perhaps the cleaning process that the owner had used was suspect. Clearly, they needed to look into the process of obtaining the seed. But the landowner knows exactly what's happened. Nothing wrong with the seed. And by extension, Jesus is saying, there's nothing wrong with his kingdom. But he knows he has a mortal enemy. This is sabotage. It's nothing short of that. The landowner knows that his business is under attack. And what to do in the present hour? Well, the fact that an attack has happened is apparent. And so the servants wanting to help suggest they know a way out. Just simply pull out the weeds. Look, the servants are aware that this is going to severely damage the harvest, but, but they're trying to come up with some kind of a solution. But the landowner has a different plan. He will not touch the weeds, not right now. See, the landowner knows that in the present hour, when the wheat is growing, one will have to let the two, that is, the wheat and the darnel, grow up together. For a period of time, the fields of the landowner are going to look awful. But the landowner knows something else. When he hires professional reapers, they will be given the painstaking task at the harvest to carefully separate out every single stalk. They will burn the darnel and they will gather the wheat into the barn. That's the story. But what does it mean? Now, even before we have any explanation, we, we should be able to see a number of things. I mean, right now, the kingdom of heaven is being planted into this world. But that which will one day be, that is, the consummation of all things, the imperfect being made perfect, the reign of God arriving, where evil is finally and ultimately destroyed, that, that thing, it's not yet come. John the Baptist spoke of a harvest where the wheat would be gathered into the barn and, and the chaff burned up with unquenchable fire. You know, that end times event, says Jesus, has not yet matured. But the seeds of that are in the soil. The harvest is on the way. We should learn that from this parable. But there is more. We should learn that the kingdom of heaven in this present era is not just going to reap a harvest, but that right now the kingdom of heaven has enemies, enemies that will do whatever it takes to destroy the harvest. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verse 12? He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. In short, Jesus is teaching that the introduction of the kingdom of heaven into this world would result in a great spiritual war. Great evil would be done, and for a period of time, it would look like the darnel or the weeds have taken over the field. Now, for those of us who aren't expecting this, well, this sounds puzzling. And some of you listening to my voice have been taught by false teachers, by the way, to think that because you're a king's kid, you'll be able to ask the king for anything which includes riches and healing and a good and respectable life, and it's going to be yours. Hasn't occurred to you that an enemy has planted weeds in the field, and for a period of time, both the work of the king 
and the work of the enemy would happen side by side. But some of you know that this is so. You've already suffered violence and injustice and hardship, slander, but you've become discouraged and you've wondered why there is no respite. Why are the weeds allowed to clog up the field? And, and to that, we need to think seriously about this parable. Did you know that right now, the works of the enemy are allowed in some measure to stand until the last days? I was recently teaching a class, and in that, one woman confessed that she had struggled for a long time with feelings of depression, thoughts of suicide. Although she didn't ask it, I sensed her asking, where's the Lord in all of this? Why hasn't he removed this burden from me? And I said to her, my dear sister, this is happening to you because you're not in Zion yet. You're marching to Zion, but the holy city is yet in the future. But while on the way in this, the land of shadows, don't you lose hope. Zion surely lies before you, and don't you stop trusting in him, for very soon now we will enter into his celestial city, and this old age will end, and the struggle you now feel will forever be behind you. Now, I know we have an answer to why it is that God, who is sovereign, has permitted the enemy to impact into this present hour. And we haven't answered yet why, in, in practical terms, God has not rooted out what the enemy is doing. That's true. We need to keep listening to the parables of Jesus. But we also need to hear the words of 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Understand that Christ said it would be this way. John, as you're speaking and we're speaking together, uh, there's a real sense that the kingdom of God has come, but but that shouldn't surprise us that there are enemies out there that, that are working against us. Yeah, I mean, Jesus said that at this hour, this is what the kingdom looks like. Um, and, and so we have to anticipate we have enemies. The kingdom of God has enemies. And God has permitted the enemy to be among us. And this results in a fiery trial. So whenever people are surprised by the trial, I think it's only because they haven't heard Jesus yet. The time will come when the trial will end. We know that. But in this hour, this is what's to be expected. And therefore, we need to guard ourselves and understand the days that we live. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us here again tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. grateful you joined us today for Back to the Bible Canada. We believe faithful Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Neufeld available on this station. We do know, though, that there are times when it's not possible to listen on the radio. So for your convenience, we provide a number of free listening options. Listen online at backtothebible.ca. Sign up for the daily podcast. Subscribe for the free mobile app or check out the weekly Truth and Life Today video broadcast on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. Just a few of the free Bible teaching opportunities available for Canadians and around the globe, but only available because of the passion and generosity of so many across this country. Thanks for all you do. 
Call us today with your support or for ministry information at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.